Today on the John Ankerberg Show, are you a Christian who doubts? Why is it that after placing belief in Christ, you are plagued with questions about your faith? Why do you live each day wondering if you are truly a Christian and doubting whether God has really forgiven your sins? You fear going to hell, but aren't sure you will go to heaven. Why do you have these doubts? Is there a biblical way to conquer your depressing thoughts of unbelief? Can you really get rid of all your doubts? Today, John's guest is Dr. Gary Habermas, Chairman of the Department of Philosophy and Theology at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. He is the author of more than 21 books, including a book on doubt called The Thomas Factor. We invite you to join us. Welcome to our program. Are you a Christian who has doubts about your salvation, about your relationship with God? You wonder where God is in times of tragedy or disappointment? I know some of you have been struggling with doubt for years. Why? Because you've told us. You've almost given up hope that you'll experience what other Christians seem to experience all the time. And the Bible does promise peace and assurance to God's children. So why don't you have it? You certainly want it. Well, I think we also have to realize there are many kinds of doubts. But emotional doubt is probably the worst, the most destructive and debilitating of all the doubts you can have. Emotional doubt robs you of your joy with Christ. It burdens your worship, makes you feel guilty, keeps you from running to God with your problems. And when you do talk to God, all you seem to get is silence in return. Well, Dr. Gary Habermas is my guest today. He's going to help us with this topic. Okay, bring us up to speed of where we've been the last couple of weeks in terms of doubt. Because a lot of people that are listening to us, they've got doubts. They're Christians. People think they're the best Christian in the church. And secretly, they've got these doubts. And it's, and it's, it's just eating away at them. Then there's some people that say, I want to believe. I am a Christian. I want to believe. I can't seem to, I can't gear it up. I, I can't believe. What's the matter with me? What is all this that's going on? Well, to recap briefly, we said that doubt is uncertainty about God or one's relationship with him. And that manifests itself in a lot of forms. Is Christianity true? Did I say the right words? Personal assurance, pain and suffering, answers to prayer. And so we divided doubt into three categories. Factual doubt, which is the least complicated. And the answer to factual doubt is the facts. Emotional doubt, which we might think the answer is the facts, but really it's not. It's changing the things we say because over and over again in Scripture, we read that what we say to ourselves is a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Over and over again, what we see is the things we tell ourselves determine how we feel. So the psalmist, the, uh, you know, in our, the Proverbs and the epistles, we're told to change what we say, change our thinking. Here's an interesting contrast, Romans 1 and 2, that catalog of sins at the end of Romans 1. They believed a lie, it says. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, give your... Life, a living, or give yourself to God as a living sacrifice by changing the way you think. The contrast is this. Those who engage in sin believe a lie. Those who engage in truth change the way they think. We change our moods by what we tell ourselves. And uh, we can't, here's, here's the most liberating thought on this subject of emotional doubt I can think of. You can't change, perhaps, what is happening to you right now. But you can change what you're saying to yourself about what's happening to you, and you can do that immediately. Well, if the normal Christian response is, 
Who gives a rip? If I can't change what's happening to me, then they miss the point. What's happened to you does not cause as much pain as what you tell yourself about what happens to you. I can't affect all the things that happen to me, but I can change what I think immediately. It's like taking two aspirins and going to bed. I can change what I say now. That causes my most pain. Change what you say. You change how you feel, and that's in our power. So what we don't realize is, Lord, why is all this coming down on me? The answer is, <laughs> Lord's not doing anything to you. Change what you're thinking. That's the worst pain. But you're not talking about this is just intellectual. This is not just positive thinking. It's not. Tell me what else this is. Well, here's the difference between positive thinking and Christianity. Christianity says that I don't pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Either, number one, works don't do this. I can't save myself. It comes to the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We say I do to him in light of who he is and what he's done. That's one stage. This is not positive thinking. And he gives you a gift. And he gives us a gift, which is freely given. It's not positive thinking. A third way in which it's not positive thinking is this. It is not by my power that this is done. It's by God's power. I do not, by thinking good thoughts, rah, rah, I'm a big tough guy, I'm doing some mental weightlifting. It's not like that at all. God has said, you've got the Holy Spirit. We're talking to believers who doubt. God says you have the Holy Spirit. Practice some disciplines. You move into concert with him. By thinking different, the correct things, we tap his power. We tap into him. It's, so this is from start to finish, from unsaved to saved to doubting. We're not positive thinking here. We are following his directions and tapping into the power he's already given to us. It's by God's power that this is done. Now, continue that. I mean, people come in and they received Christ and his gift by faith, believed, felt the whole ball of wax that they were saved. They went on, hit some obstacles, all of a sudden they don't feel saved, okay? So they need to learn some things. They go in and out, then they get the doubts. So advise those folks right there that, are, that they felt like they got in, and now they think, am I really in? Did I, you know, did I do it right? Did I do something wrong? What's happening here? I send po folks like that home with a homework assignment. Take a sheet of paper, divide it into three columns, and when a doubt occurs to you, for some of these people, it's ten times a day. I mean, it's a plaguing, debilitating thing. Put a, t a day down, put a time down, second column. What am I saying to myself? Life's a bummer. God doesn't care. I may not be saved. I may be going to hell. And for each one of those, take a little block, and over on the far right column, put the answers. Put biblical answers. God does not save, send save people to hell. Salvation does not depend on how I feel. It depends on what's been accomplished. If I already start feeling better by what I say to myself, maybe, just maybe, I should start saying different things to myself. Again, Proverbs 15, 15, he that is of a cheerful heart hath a continual feast. We make that cheer. We respond to things. We all know people who, no matter what happens, they're cheerful. That comes from what we say to ourselves and how we act. So I tell the person, every time it comes up, I want you to respond this way. And then when you get done, you'll see how this journaling over the next two weeks, over the next month, you'll see how you're going, and you start responding this way to things. This list gets shorter and shorter. This list gets longer and longer. But there's things a person can begin applying right there. The easiest remedy is uh, uh, Philippians 4, 6-9. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, and then he gives four bits of advice. He says, again, pray. Second, praise. Third, verse 8, change your thoughts from these anxious thoughts to these thoughts. And fourthly, 
practice these things. This isn't this is pastoral, you know, advice from the Apostle Paul, who says you can try these things. And here's the best thing to do: next time you're going through it, try praising. Next time you're going through it, change what you're saying to yourself. See if you don't feel better. You can change moods like this. Most of the time, you can change moods right away. It has to do with what you're saying. Now, if a person tries it and it works once, maybe they try it twice. Now, I also say there's some Band-Aid remedies you can do. A Band-Aid remedy is this. Next time you get down, go ride a bike, swim, walk with a friend, call a friend on the phone, go jog, fish, watch a ball game and get engrossed in it. Those will work. But they're like snipping weeds off at the surface. It's like saying, I want to get the weeds out of my lawn, I'll run the lawn more. We know they're up next week. They will work because why? You're changing your focus. The minute you start thinking about jogging, you're not anxious. You quit jogging and you start getting anxious again. But the second kind of remedy is more powerful because the spiritual remedies go for the roots. You go after the poison that's into your system and you get it out you know, you, you spray each one of those weeds individually, or in the old days, you pull it up by right. the roots. Slow it down. Sure. A teenager came to me and said, you mean to say that faith is not feeling? Because if I can be feeling lousy, and that's faith, what difference is there between being a Christian and where I was before? Okay. I was, I was speaking at Stanford University a few years ago, and I was doing this very thing. And this young lady... And the crowd said, question. She said, what you're saying is going to work because these are psychological laws. But she said, all you're doing is mind-bending. And this just caught me by surprise. You're going to change your mind. You're going to change your thoughts. But you're mind-bending. And, and all of a sudden I thought to myself, listen, if Christianity is false, all I'm doing is mind-bending. Hey, but if you feel better for it, aspirins aren't Christian, but they make you feel better, so you take them. But I said, wait a minute. I said to her, if Christianity is true, you're not mind-bending. If Christianity is true, the facts are true, then I should think in line with the facts. And if Christianity is true, I have truth and I have the feeling. I bring my mind in accord with this, and the result is feeling the best for the best possible reasons. It's true, and I'm in line with it. So ask yourself the apologetic questions. Is Christianity true? Answer is yes. How should I think? Well, I can't think bad thoughts about true things. I bring myself into accord with this. Did Jesus die? And I tell people, stay on track. You want a what if about everything. If you came to see me, John, here's all I have for you. Did you trust Christ, your personal Savior? Yes. And what are you saying to yourself? I might be going to hell. Listen, stay on track. Did Christ, is Christ the Son of God? Yes. Die for your sins? Yes. Was he raised from the dead? Yes. Did you say yes to him? Did you say I do? Yes. Here's what you say to yourself. All those who are in Christ Jesus, and we know what comes after that. They, they're raised to the heavenlies, we, we learn in the book of Ephesians. They're saved. That's what you tell yourself. So, and you say, yeah, but what if? You can't go there. You're bad at this. You know, you tell a person, I was horrible at it. The what ifs. Okay, let me give me two more sure. what ifs here. And that is the fact is of... Uh, if faith is not a feeling, what is faith? What is true faith? Okay. Faith is a choice. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is the feelings come as a result of the things we say to ourselves. First of all, I want a true foundation. I want to know Christianity is true. If it's true, I say yes to it. I make a decision. And I think again the closest human analogy is this. 
A woman dates a man, a man dates a woman. They know each other. They think they know each other better than anybody else in the universe, but they're not married until they say, I do. All right, supposedly, you've got the best facts, you say, I do, and you have an ideal marriage. Saying, I do, is a step. It's a choice, and you do it. Sometimes when you're married, you have bad feelings, and sometimes you have good feelings. We know there are causes for that, and there's things you do about that, but feeling unmarried doesn't make you unmarried, and feeling married, if you're not, doesn't make you married. Emotions are good. Now, this is a very important step, too. Emotions are God-given realities. They're wonderful. They're spiritual alarms. When we start feeling badly, we should stop back and count what's going on. So there's a lot of things going on there, but it's not a feeling. Faith is a choice. I say I do, and I'm married. I say I do to Christ, and I'm saved. C.S. Lewis, I think, was the one who said he was brought kicking and screaming over the line. You listen to his testimony. He's riding on the bus, and all of a sudden this feeling came over him. And yet it's almost like he went, you know, on a scale of 1 to 100 to 51%. So he was in, but he still had a whole boatload of things he was struggling with. Is that, is that true Christianity? Is that more what we ought to be expecting? Is that you make that commitment and you're saying, shoot, should I have made that commitment? In other words, is there still doubt in there? Is a person saved? I mean, do you know the whole ball of wax once you say, I believe? Well, ultimately, only God in the parable, only God separates the wheat from the tares. Only God knows bottom line. But a very common experience of Christians, I, I've, I've talked to just so many who have gone through this sort of thing, and they, it, it's very common experience. In fact, here's how common. I am not aware of an issue that's more common among Christians. When I go out and speak on this subject, I've said, if you have never doubted, please come up and tell, tell me, and I will add you to my list. Over the years, I've had one person say, well, they just don't want to come and talk to you. But I talk, a lot of these things are in classes where I have 50 students standing in front of me. I know them. They've got to get past my lectern to get out the door. They'll say things, and I know a lot of them very well. I've had one person in 25 years tell me they haven't doubted. And you know what I did even in that case? I called, it was a lady. I called her husband over. I said, has she doubted? Because I figure your spouse will know these things better than you will. One taker. Everyone else has gone through it. Then you go through the Bible. And you see it in Abraham, you see it in Job, you see it in David, you see it in Jeremiah, you see it in the minor prophets, you see it in John the Baptist, you see it in Paul, and you think, wow, this might be kind of common. But the good news here is that the good news has nothing to do with our feelings. We can feel bad, we can feel good. When you're high, that doesn't mean you're saved or unsaved. Go the opposite way. Sure. Look at Abraham, shoot, he started down that trail, did some marvelous things, but he did some terrible things while he was walking with yeah. the Lord, okay? Yeah. What's the test for a person who looks back and says, did I really trust enough? Is this part of your answer in terms of the will? Is this where you were going in the, your third category? Yeah, that the person says, have I done enough? Well, no. The fact is, did I trust enough? Oh. Well, I mean, this might be heresy in some circles, but I say to a person, I, as common a question as I get is this one, that I say the right words. Well, you know what's so incredible about that is there's no sinner's prayer in the New Testament. Now, I think it's convenient. If a person says, what can I do? I think it's convenient to pray with them. But there's no ideal sinner's prayer. And we know from the Old Testament, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And yet we say, and I can't tell you how typical this is. I, mean, I know you've heard it. It's, uh, well, see, I'm struggling with this word repent. I don't know what it means. And I, and I, and then somebody tells me, I should have said this, and I go back and I pray it again. And then I've said everything, and I'll say to them smilingly, 
well, if you've accepted Christ 25 times, you should have covered all the bases by now. Well, yeah, I've covered all the bases, but what if the definitions, the word change, and I, oh, but what if I'm saying the right thing, but I don't really believe what I'm saying? They have all these levels of responses, and the crazy thing is the Bible never gives us a prescription for this prayer. It's what's in the heart. Now, back to the spouses who say to each other, tell me you love me, and so on. The husband or wife doesn't say, well, there's a magic thing here, and if you say exactly the right words, I'll... The reason they're asking is because they're in love. And the person who says, I want Jesus to pat me on the head, if he would send me a letter and say, you are my child, it'd be the most incredible, liberating, freeing thing in the universe, and I could turn my attention to working for him forever. Well, that's where most people are. But the incredible thing is, you have to stay on target. Is Christianity true? Yes. Have you said I do? Yes. Then you're saved. But what if, what if, but obviously you didn't hear. Is Christianity true? Did you say yes? Yeah, but what if I didn't say? I, oh, you didn't get the point. Is That's like saying there's a marriage. You can always look at that marriage certificate, but we don't have that when we trust Christ. But the scripture says all things. Now, even people who believe they can lose their salvation, even that kind of belief, if they're really worried about this, I take it to mean the vast majority of those want it and move in. It's free. You know, whoever comes to me, I will no wise cast out, Jesus says in the, in the book of John. So people want to bring everything else and they want to jump, dump the kitchen sink into this discussion. And that's not what salvation is. Is it true? And finally, when I'm telling the person this, I go, all right, all right. Yes, it's true. Did you do it? Yes, I did it. What are you saying about it? I'm saying, what if I'm going, no, you've done it. And I'll tell you what, here's when the person gets victory when they start making themselves focus single-mindedly on what they've done, and they don't take this what-if, they make themselves push onwards. And the person who learns to say to themselves, God in his word is not about what I've done. It's about what he's done for me. And if I've said I do to him, it's free. If I've done it, dare I to think that I have eternal life? First John 5:13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know not think, hope, know now that you have eternal life. Here's the bottom line. The more successful we are telling ourselves the right things, the better we'll feel. But here's some other good news. No matter how badly you feel, you're just as saved if you've done the right thing. Thank you for joining us for this edition of The John Ankerberg Show. For more information, please contact us at 1-800-805-3030. That's 1-800-805-3030. Or go online at www.johnankerberg.org right now. Today's show is a production of the Ankerberg Theological Research Institute and is a recognized member of the National Religious Broadcasters.